0: Welcome to Trace on the Case, the podcast where we talk about unique cases, economic damage claims, financial investigations, and various aspects of white collar crime. My name is Paul Rodriguez, and I'll be your host. My partner Deb Temkin and I have over 60 years of experience between us in doing what we love to do, tracing money and tracing the people. We've seen it all and in this show, we're going to be taking you below the surface, deep into our world so you can learn how we work and how we've solved some very complex problems. Because let's face it, the most tricky cases require bringing in the experts. This is Trace on the Case. We have a tremendous episode ahead of us. We are happy you're here. So let's get into it. Welcome to Trace on the Case, episode number eleven, titled "Where's My Money, Honey." Uh, this is going to be one on forensic accounting in divorce proceedings. So stay tuned. Hi, this is Paul Rodrigues and Dev Temkin with Trace on the Case, and today we are going to be talking about forensic accounting in divorce proceedings. Deb how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well thank you Paul. How are you?
0: I am excellent. Got a little bit of an allergy thing going on so bear with me if I sound funny. Anyways, so uh I think maybe it might help to start off just kind of explaining or giving a general definition of um you know forensic accountants, you know what is it and how does it tie into the work that we do um in family law and specifically in the divorce proceedings.
1: Sure. Thanks, Paul. I can do that. Um, So I always tell my friends that forensic accountants are sexy accountants. We don't do the boring stuff. And it's true. Um, We're financial professionals, typically uh, CPAs or CAs who specialize in investigating, analyzing and reporting on financial information for legal purposes. So um, we get involved with divorce proceedings. We use our expertise that we've garnered over the years in accounting, auditing, our investigative skills. And during divorce proceedings, we work to uncover financial irregularities, fraud, um, and any hidden assets as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So anyways, where where might somebody need us uh as forensic accountants, what um, circumstances would, you know, require the use of of, uh, folks like us?
1: It's a great question. And I often get asked this. And the first thing that really springs to mind is the high asset or high worth marriages. So where we see divorces involving high net worth individuals or couples that have significant assets, The financial landscape can actually be very, very complicated. Um, The more you have, the more complicated it seems to get. And so we get involved to ensure that uh, the assets are identified and that they're valued and um, that everything that is there is actually reported, nothing's hidden. And that results in an equitable resolution um, of the assets being divided between the Two spouses. Uh, we also get called in where there's business ownership, where one or both the spouses, sometimes the spouses working together, can own a business and um, determining the value of the business can be contentious. They're usually private businesses. So we'll be called in to help with that. Um, they also get called in where there are allegations of financial misconduct. Um, That could be marital waste, it could be um, hidden assets, uh, what we call marital waste, which is spending money outside of the marriage, typically on a third party or on a lavish and luxurious um, lifestyle that only one of the spouses, the spending spouse, is participating in. Um, It may also include fraudulent transfers, so funding money through children or other relatives, uh, manipulation of income, hiding of income. Um, we are brought in to look at complex investments, um, the often uh, investment setups uh, or schemes that are really, really complicated. And so we come in and we look at them, we unwind them and put them into very simple terms. Um, and we also take into account any prenuptial and postnuptial agreements to ensure that the assets are being reported and divided as the two types of agreements would contemplate so a lot a lot said in a very short amount of time but wherever there's anything complicated and worth a lot of money that's typically when we get called in
0: yeah yeah exactly because you know if it's a smaller divorce case there's not enough a lot of assets or bank accounts or complexity it, it it usually would not pay for them to um uh, to have a forensic account involved. But um and that's why I think you mentioned the a lot of assets are the high asset marriages. And if there's businesses involved or multiple bank accounts. I mean we've had a case where there was a hundred and I think it was 20 something odd bank accounts that needed to be traced. And we typically see um you know they'll try to hide money if they're going to hide it with friends, family business associates or within businesses themselves. Um, We've also seen some foreign transactions, haven't we?
1: We have and um, real estate transactions abroad as well. You know, in different countries, where money has been taken either out of the U.S. or one of the spouses is involved in an international business and is actually getting paid in a different country. So sometimes our search for those assets actually extends beyond just the U.S. Um, and beyond the the typical areas that we tend to work within with within in Wisconsin and in Illinois. Um, so we've definitely seen that. Um, and when you talk about multiple bank accounts, um, typically when we're involved, not all of those bank accounts are disclosed. Um, and that that's also true of investments and credit cards. And so as we begin our work, we pick up additional accounts that need to be um, reviewed, investigated, etc. and it's it's almost like peeling an onion sometimes, isn't it, Paul?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. and and sometimes it takes, I, and I think I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but sometimes it takes not just uh, tracing, let's say a direct tracing, but I call it the flip side of the coin where not only are you tracing the um, the income streams and where that might have gone or sources and uses of funds, but it's also to analyze, let's say with the expenses, when those are being paid, if we can see they're being paid with other bank accounts, which were not previously disclosed, which gets us into what do we typically do uh, when we when we start off one of these cases, for example, uh, what are some of the standard things that we would ask for?
1: Well, the first thing that we do is we uh, run a public record search on the spouses to identify any and all related parties or related parties insofar as we can. So that would be direct family members, um, as well as business associates. And we do that so that we can look out for any fraudulent transfers or hiding of assets um, or income with those parties. Uh, we also do it to identify any assets that are being held by either or both of the spouses. Um, They're not always disclosed because people have very clever ways of hiding them. So, um, you know, they may buy a property, but buy it in the name of an LLC. Public record search would actually reveal the LLC. But if they put it in the name of a trust, it would be harder to find. Um, right, I hope that right. only the right people are listening to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the first thing we do, and then you know when we get the bank statements, there's there's a whole process involved there, and that's where our advanced applied analytics actually come into play.
0: Right, right, and and and, and before we get into the advanced analytics and and touching on what we can do there, but we'll uh, with a public record search, it will typically show us. Um, you know, what uh, what real estate is owned, potentially what the, the mortgages are on it for a second and so on. Um, any liens that are out there, um, it'll show us uh, cars, anything that's titled and recorded, uh, boats. And I think I, I had an episode on that. Uh, what was it called? Nice boat baby or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, we look at those things and we also compare it to the financial disclosure statements made by the individuals, correct?
1: That's right. And uh, you know, different states call that document that you've just called the financial disclosure different things. Um, I know that in Illinois we talk about the financial affidavit. In Wisconsin, we talk about the financial disclosure. Either way, it's still the same document. It's a, a document that lists out each spouse's, well, each spouse actually works on their own copy. Um, and they have to put in there all their income, not just from their employment if they're a W2 employee, but all their income from all the different sources. Um, And I stress that because we have seen people just put down their employment income and then we find out that they've got various other sources of income that they didn't know, uh, didn't know, knew, didn't know that they had to put down. Um, And then they also have to put down all the expenses and all their assets and liabilities. So everything that they own and everything that they owe to others. And that is a document that gets filed as part of the court record. So if somebody lies on that, they have committed perjury. We've definitely see a lot of lies on those.
0: Right, right, exactly. And then if we find that there's been a let's say uh, a huge failure to disclose let's say multiple accounts and their material, then that even uh, it's a red flag for us to dig in further and to be even more suspect of everything else that's going on. Correct.
1: Absolutely. You know, if somebody is resisting, um, telling the truth and resisting handing things over, um, you know that there's just a pack of lies that we have to unravel. So um yeah, that uh, public record search, you know, it's it's really critical. Um, it's important from from the perspective of identifying the assets, as you said, from anything from real estate all the way through to cars and boats. Um, it also discloses professional licenses, um, tells us if there's been a previous bankruptcy, if the spouse has a criminal record, um, and usually it will tell us what type of crime was involved as well. So, yeah. um, and all of that's important. It 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 sort of sets a good background for what the numbers are telling us.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and like on, the, let's let's talk about a, some assets too that may be really high worth assets that that may not show up in our uh, background investigation or public record search. Um, art, right? Mm-hmm. Artwork. Uh, Gold, maybe.
1: Yes, we've seen that. How
0: about jewelry?
1: Jewelry, a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and and I would throw into jewelry, you know, men's um, luxury, men and women's, but we've seen more often men's luxury watches, um, you know, which can be worth tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's it's easily concealable. Um, what? cash. <laughs> Cash <laughs> is another one. Um, another one. Yeah. Gold and silver coins. Um, cryptocurrency, which of course is a hot one. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And private investments, investment portfolios. Um, so, you know, a, an investment portfolio with TD Amerit- Ameritrade or Robinhood, um, uh, you know, Venmo accounts, PayPal accounts, Phantom um,
0: stock.
1: Phantom stock.
0: Uh sometimes incentive stock options if they haven't been exercised. Um boy, you can have a, a whole slew of things. And um, and then sometimes they're hiding it outside of the country, you know. Uh so we have to take a look at uh when we're looking at the bank records, we're looking for wire charges because typically the banks won't waive, you know, foreign wires um uh we've seen that quite a bit so yeah yeah so there's a lot more than what we're explaining but we're just trying to give you a little indication of um, some of the things that we look at it at a detail level without boring you um let's see here how about uh i don't know maybe we can walk through um the different types of uh, uncovering, I don't know, hidden income, so to speak.
1: Okay. Well, and and maybe it's easiest to, to give, you know, an example. Um, sure. So we were working on a child support case. So not, you know, this was post-divorce. And um, the uh, father of the child was asking the court to adjust the child support downwards because he wasn't making as much money as he was making before. Um, He was the sole employee of his own company, and the company provided services to third parties. So, you know, it it was a fairly lucrative company, um, and he was making out checks to himself as a so-called as a W-2 employee, but his salary wasn't actually running through payroll which is just weird because if you're an employee, it should go, you know, as be paid as a payroll. And so what he would do is he would just write checks to himself as though he were taking drawings from a sole proprietorship or a pass through entity. And um, at the end of the year, he would give a number to his accountant who would then say, well, that's the W-2 salary. And, All that he was simply doing for the court was say if in the previous two years he had been paid a hundred thousand dollars for each of those years in year three where he's asking for the reduction in child support from the court he's suddenly earning sixty thousand and of course this is all just post pandemic so he blames it on the pandemic and says well my business wasn't doing quite as well I only earned sixty thousand. It's I'm struggling to pick my cust, you know, pick up on my customers again, which was kind of weird because all of these services are provided online, um, and it didn't seem to me that any of these customers who are all online providers really would have been affected too badly. But anyway. Um, we got all his bank statements, and what we saw was that he was declaring his W-2 income as 60000 but he was taking about 130000 in cash out of the business. So um, that full 130000 actually counted as income, and he was trying to say, no, that wasn't income, that was, you know, just money that the business owed him as the owner. Um, and, of course, business drawings are income, um, so... You know, it's it's not just what's on that W-2. Um, in the same case, he had tried to hide assets uh, by setting up a revocable trust. Um, and I had seen it on a document, uh, just seen that, you know, his name with a revocable trust and um, looked more deeply into what it was. And he was saying that, you know, the trust had nothing to do with this matter. He didn't want to hand over trust financial statements or trust bank records or anything else, but it was revocable, which meant that it was using his social security number. Um, Additionally, he had commingled funds between himself and the trust. So any uh, argument that he had that this was a separate entity and separate from him uh, sort of fell apart. And so the trust was actually an alter ego for him. And he was using the trust to hide assets Wasn't hiding. Well, actually, he did hide some income in there. I Think about thirty thousand that had gone to the trust instead of to him. But uh, you know, he was just trying to use this trust as um, as as a a way to hide money and assets, real estate, and and basically some income, as well as some foreign investments in the name of the trust. And so, um, you know, we were able to show that was an alter ego. the The matter didn't go to trial. It was settled but I believe it was settled favorably for the child. um, And, you know, he was not able to hide this income away and had to fulfill his duty of support to his child.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've seen it too where, and I I can't recall if you were on the same case with me, but so let's say they'll sometimes, uh, hypothetically, let's say it's the the husband um, who's running the business, uh, the spouse, uh, she's not in it. Um, I've seen it before, where he'll take, he'll decrease his own W two income, and instead of buying um, his mistress uh, jewelry and other things, that they'll uh, they'll put them on the company payroll, and so <laughs> he'll decrease his income by a hundred thousand, but he hires her. And he's paying her 100000 and she's not even working in the business. So, uh, yeah, trickery, trickery everywhere. So, uh, And I guess
1: there's no prizes for knowing who's getting Employee of the Year award there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so,
0: I, I know we talked about, uh, you know, the hidden assets and, and financial misconduct. I don't know if we mentioned the word um, uh, marital waste at all. Do you recall if we did that? Yes.
1: Yes, yep. so I, I mentioned it very, very briefly, okay. um, but maybe you want to explain what marital waste is and, and I'll chime in.
0: Yeah, marital waste is um, where the money in what we typically call uh, the marital estate. So marital funds are being used for non-marital purposes, meaning you know it's not for both the spouse's benefit. Um, for example, uh, You know, we've seen it where there's been large purchases of jewelry. Well, wouldn't that be a marital asset? Yeah, it would be, except if it was given to the mistress. (laughs) And so then how do we know that's marital waste? Well, we simply ask um, the spouse, uh, did he give you this jewelry? "Mm, Absolutely not. Never got it. Wasn't there. Um, I wasn't in Italy when that happened, matter of fact. (laughs) You know? things like that. Um, and, uh, so yeah, you, you'll see all, all different kinds of marital waste, um, taking uh, a lover on, on vacations. Um, it's basically wasting away the assets, which are, um, you know, marital property and half of the others, uh, in basically, it, it it it's 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 like a theft. I I you know it's like a theft out of the Merrill estate or a misappropriate. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so it's it's spending and not for the benefit of both spouses. So only one spouse is benefiting from it. Right. Um, you know, not something trivial like a gym membership. This is actually, you know, going out spending the money that belongs to both partners, whether they're both working or not. You know, sometimes yep. people will say, well, it's my money. I earned it. You know, I I went out and worked. My wife sat at home, which is typically the case where one spouse is working, although I know people who have stay-at-home husbands. Um, and it, that's just simply not true. And especially it's it's simply not true in every state that is, um, <clears throat> that that actually has the joint marital estate. So in community of property. Um, also, we we tend to, we always ask if there's a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement that might specify something different. So, you know, before you get married or just or at any stage during the marriage, you can actually enter into an agreement with your spouse and agree on how you're going to handle the finances. Um, and I, I advise people to get a prenup um, if they're bringing anything of wealth into the marriage um, they may want to keep that separate. On the other hand, if they wanted to forward to the marital estate, they're welcome to do that too. But try to figure it out before you get married because you tend to agree more when you're happy than when you're fighting. So <laughs> if you haven't got it all figured out, that's when you've got to call us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Get them to sign it while they love you.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: And they're, okay. yeah, they're in that uh, emotional state of happiness that uh, things go much better. So, Absolutely. anyways, um, so that's a touch on the here. I guess we may expand on this later, but for today, I think um, that pretty much covers it. Was there anything else that uh, you wanted to touch on before we conclude today's episode?
1: No, I think that that's a good place to end it. Um, and if people have ideas as to what you'd like to learn more about um, in terms of the role of forensic accountants in family law, either divorce or child support post-divorce, please send us an email, visit us. Our website is uh, traceforensic.com and we would love to hear your ideas.
0: Exactly. And uh, so that will conclude another episode of Trace on the Case. And uh, I wanted to say something too, uh, with our past episodes, sometimes, we have them coming out every week sometimes it's every two weeks uh, or or longer because of course with our caseload and uh court deadlines and reports and depositions and testimony um things can change and uh a lot of times we will get in a lot of data at the last minute and uh, we need to meet these deadlines and clients come first so if we are ever uh, not there on a week that you were expecting us, that's just assume that's what happened, but we will be back with additional trees on the case. And uh, we were talking about last time, I believe it was on intellectual property, uh, intellectual property law, what is it? And um, And then in future episodes, we're putting together a whole series of episodes on uh, intellectual property. And uh, so stay tuned. It's going to be exciting. And uh, with those, hopefully you'll uh, get a benefit as well. Different area of law, but, you know, that could come into effect in a, a divorce proceeding. What is the value of any intellectual property? So that's it for today's episode of Trace on the Case. We look forward to seeing you again. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Trace on the Case. If you've enjoyed the show, there are many more on the way, and we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help the show. To learn more about myself, Deb, and Trace as an organization, visit traceforensic.com. And thank you again for joining us. We're very excited to talk with you again next week. So bring a friend.